If you brought your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you have, I want you to turn back to Exodus chapter 5, exactly where we left off last week. Um, I hope that you, that you remember the message that was preached last week and, and uh, remember, or if you don't remember, the Lord bring to your mind some of the things that I talked about last week. Um, because honestly, last week's sermon was, last Sunday morning's sermon was a, well, the introduction to this sermon. So anyways, um, let's go to where we left off last week. Exodus chapter 5. I want to read just the first two verses and then we'll go to the Lord together in prayer. And don't worry if you don't remember or wasn't here. I'll, I'll remind you real quick. But anyways, Exodus chapter 5. Uh, let's read the first two verses. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Let's stop right there. Will you pray with me? Bow your heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you one more time this morning. We thank you for the good day and for the many blessings. Thank you, Lord, for our church family and everyone who's come out this morning. Lord, my heart's desire is to see you uplifted and glorified this morning. God, my desire is to see everything to continue to go exactly according to your will. And Lord, we've already felt your presence here this morning, and we thank you for that. But I'm going to ask that you would just continue to move. I'm going to ask that you would actually move in a special way here in the rest of this service. God, I'm praying, Lord, that if there is any among us, but it's maybe not sure where they stand with you, if there's any here that are backslidden, any that's just maybe started to let some things creep into their heart and into their life that doesn't belong there, that doesn't please you, that doesn't bring you glory, if there are any here that are lost and know that they're lost, or maybe some that's just not sure what to think about things, I pray that today is the day, God, that you would pour out your Spirit on them in a mighty way, Lord, that you would, if there's whatever it is in their heart and their life and whatever's in their thoughts they dwell on, God, convict them of it. Lord, don't give them any peace until they would repent, turn away from those wicked things and turn away from sin and turn to you, forsake the world and accept you, Lord. God, I pray that today be the day of salvation, Lord God, just as you say in your word, behold, now is the day of salvation. God, Move in our midst in a mighty way. Lord, do what only you can do, and we'll give you all the glory for it. And Lord, I'm asking for your help this morning. Lord, I can't preach lest, lest you give it to me. So Lord, I'm asking, preach me one more time here this morning. Give me the words to speak here this morning. Then I'll be sure and give you all the glory for it. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive. Lord, do what only you can do. I'm asking for your holy unction, for your anointing, for a filling of your spirit. And we'll give you all the glory. We love you, we worship you, we praise your holy name. 
And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. I want you to notice a couple things here, real quick. First of all, in verse 1, right in the middle of it, it says, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. So I want you to understand who the message is from, who the words are from. This isn't Moses' thoughts, Moses' ideas. And then I want you to notice, and this is what I tried to point out last week, I want you to notice Pharaoh's ignorance. In verse 2, he says, Who is the Lord? Right? It says, And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? Then he goes on and gives, who, who is this that I should obey his voice, right? And then in the next sentence, right, so that he forms that as a question. And then in the next sentence, he makes a statement. He says, I know not the Lord, right? So, so this is Pharaoh's ignorance. He says, who is the Lord? He says, I don't know him. And, and who, who is he that I should even listen to him, right? And, and that's not a genuine question. It's arrogance, right? Pharaoh is a, is a tyrant, right? And he's doing what all tyrants throughout all of history have done. And then his response at the very end, his answer to the question is, neither will I let Israel go. Neither will I, will I let Israel go. Now I told you, and I started out last week, first of all, I think um, Pharaoh's question here, who is the Lord, is a loaded question. I started to last week and I read to you from chapter 1 and I pointed out in chapter 1 that there was a new Pharaoh that had raised up, right? Meaning a new regime, right? A, a new family, a new dynasty, right? A set of Pharaohs who had risen up and they had forgotten who Joseph was and what Joseph, actually what God had done through Joseph. I tried to make the point last week, right, that, and maybe I didn't make it clear, um, and I hope I did, but anyways, is that <coughs> not just Pharaoh, it wasn't like there was a new Pharaoh that come on and he didn't remember the things that God had done for them before, uh, but it's all of Egypt, Right? They have forgotten, right? 400 years has went by, okay? And they have forgotten what God had done for them. That's the point. That was the point I was making yesterday, and I tried to draw a parallel to our own nation and our own society in the whole our own time. Now, it's not been quite 400 years ago, right? But we can look back, what, 250 years ago or so, a little longer than that, right? We've got some prehistory in our nation before that, so you might start getting close to 400 years. But anyways, going back to the early 1600s, and we see God's hand right from the beginning, right? But yet we've come to a point in our society I got off on that a little bit in Sunday school. We've come to a point in our society that, we're at, that the same things are being said by those who are leading our society. Not only those who are leading in Washington, D.C., it's definitely being said by them, but, you know, I would, I would uh, argue that they're not the only leaders, and I would question whether they're the, even the primary leaders. There's so many influences in our society today that does not hold an elected position in Washington, but yet that is that they have forgotten. They have forgotten as a people, as a nation, where we've come from, what it is that God has done for us. And we can see the same question being asked today. Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? Now, 
here's what is getting ready to happen next. There is getting ready to be ten plagues. These are the plagues of Egypt. Um, I'm not going to go through and obviously read all of that. If you haven't read in a while and don't remember, that's be some good reading. That'd be some good reading this evening or tomorrow or whatever. It's it's loaded. There's so many things. I, I don't want to get off on a on a sermon about end times and revelation and all that, but I'll mention that I'll mention this to you. In the book of Revelation, we see three sets of seven judgments. There's seven seals, seven trumpets, and then there's seven trumpets, and then there's seven bolts. Look at them judgments closely. Right? There's a lot of parallels, right? There's some of them that sound exactly the same thing as, the, as some of these plagues here in, here in Egypt. Blood, uh, water turned into blood. I mean, pestilence throughout. I, the, the difference is, is this is on a national scale. This is just the nation of Egypt. And what Revelation is talking about is on a worldwide scale throughout all of the world. So we see, I mean, obviously there's some tight and shadow there, right? See what it is that God does with His people during the plagues in Egypt. See what, see what things look like in the land of Goshen. See what He says specifically about what He does, how He takes care of His people. I think you'll be able to understand some things of what He's going to do for His people in the last days, right? When God's wrath is poured out on the whole world. When we look at uh, the ten plagues. Um, each one of the plagues is actually a, um, I don't know if I want to say dig, hit, cut, I'm not sure what the right word to use there is, but at, as to the gods of Egypt. Okay? Egypt has got, they got a plurality of gods that they worship. Right? There's a, they've got a frog god. They, they worship the Nile, and, and, and they have several gods connected to the Nile. That's the, as a matter of fact, one of them, they believe that that is his artery of blood, you know, is, is the Nile. So God changes it into blood. But anyways, uh, each one of those, right? If you, if you look at the Egyptian gods, there's a parallel, right? The, one that I, the only one I can remember the name of, <clears throat> maybe because one of the most famous Egyptian gods, it's the sun god, Ra. Well, what's plague number nine? God says, ha, we'll see, how t- we'll see how big your God is, right? Total, utter darkness. Three days. Right? Each one of the plagues. We see in the plagues, we see, a, uh, uh, we see from going from creation to chaos, almost like a, an undoing of creation. One thing that I found interesting as I was reading through it, I'd never noticed this before, is you can take the first nine plagues and make them three sets of three. And then the first two, right, plague one, plague two, right, God sends Moses to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh warns, or I mean, God, through Moses, God warns Pharaoh, this is what I'm getting ready to do. But it's kind of like, you know, you've been warned twice, third time, three strikes, you're out. The third one, plague number three, there's no warning. It just happens. Uh, And then it starts over and he does the same thing again, right? Plague number four, Pharaoh gets warned. Plague number five, Pharaoh gets warned. Plague number six, there ain't no warning. It just happens. And then we see the pattern a third time. And then, of course, the tenth plague, that's a special one. That's the the Passover. That's the, uh, the killing of the firstborn. It's interesting, too, in the plagues. It's like it starts low and works its way up, right? And they start more as annoyances before they get deadly. 
right? So, so you see this gradual rising, right? So you start out, right, in the water, right? That's as low as you can get is the water, right? The water is turned to blood. And then the second one, right, is the frogs, the plague of the frogs. And the frogs come out of the water onto the land. And then the third one is the lice, right? The lice, and what happens? It's the dust, right? What's the next, what's the next level, right? You've got the water, you've got the intermediate coming out of the water, and then the dust, right? The dust of the ground turned into lice. And then we've got swarms of flies, right? It just keeps going, and it goes from flies, and then the next thing you know, it's their livestock, right? All the Egyptians' livestock is killed. And we just keep going from there. I don't know that I can name them all off the top of my head in order. But, you know, you go from, was it livestock? And then you've got, um, you've got hail. And then you've got locusts, right? And so the, where's the hail? It's thunder, lightning, and hail. That's coming from the sky, right? Uh, and then after that, you've got the, you might think, um, the locusts coming. You might think that sounds more like the flies. But no, pay close attention. It is a strong wind that blows from the east that brings them in and it's the wind blowing from the west that takes them out right and we just keep we keep building from there until we've got right the sun that's beyond that's as that's as high as you can get before you you know you get to god and heaven in that realm but just thinking about it from an earthly standpoint right the sun is beyond our earth right and it is dark and black for three days and all of this all of this is because Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? Who is he that I should obey his voice? You know, and this isn't the only time, I'm just going to read one time that God says this. Let me just read this section of scripture. Exodus chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, um, no, I'll tell you what, let me go to verse 3. 7 3. Exodus 7 3 and says, God is speaking. He says, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not, so he's, he's telling, he's, it's like prophecy, he's telling uh, Moses what's going to happen. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you. Pharaoh's not going to listen that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch forth my hand upon Egypt uh, and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Did you catch that in verse 5? And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Right? It's an answer. You're going to know that I am God, right? Do you not see a parallel what God does when he pours out his wrath in the book of Revelation? All these people today are saying, who is the Lord, right? That we should listen to him, that we should obey his voice, and God is saying, I'm going to move, right? And you're going to know uh, who I am. Hey, when it's done, all your false gods, I'm going to make a full mockery out of them, and you will know uh, who is God. I gotta say something. Side note, tangent, call it what you want. Soapbox. Jake wants to bring my box out, I'll stand on it. This is my soapbox for just a minute. Scripture says, God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. That is so misunderstood and misused. Now I misunderstood it for a long time too. We think of harden 
Now remember, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Some of it 2,000 years before the New Testament is written. New Testament is written in Greek. Two different languages. God uses two different, you know, groups of people to do it. Two different thinking, two different vocabularies, two different mindsets. So sometimes it's easy for us to mix things up and get confused. When we think of, here's traditionally, and so many even Bible scholars, they think of God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Now let me say something. All ten plagues you go through and you'll find where it talks about Pharaoh's heart being hardened. Six of the ten, Pharaoh hardens his own heart. It's only in four of them that the Lord hardens his heart. That's what the Word says. I went through last night and underlined it and highlighted it in the, not this Bible, but my other Bible at home, looking at this, studying this out, figuring this out, or thinking about this. Not figuring it out, but thinking about it. Six times. Some of them, there's a couple of them that's kind of ambu, ambu, that word right there. You know, as far as who's doing the hardening, I would argue from the context it's Pharaoh hardening his own heart. Several of them it specifically says Pharaoh hardened his heart. But then there's four of them, unmistakable, the Lord hardened his heart. And when we think of hardening his heart, we think of, in the New Testament sense, when it talks about your heart being hardened, and that it can't be pierced, right? So it's it's like a hard shell over the outside, and it can't be pierced by the Word of God or nothing. Nothing's going to get in get him through. And so we automatically take that definition, and we transfer it back here. But actually the way the word hardened is used is in a different sense altogether. Now, follow me for a second. You take a piece of steel and you want to make it stronger, what do you do to it? You harden it. That's the contents in the sense that the word hardened is used here to make stronger, to strengthen. It's, he's, what he's going to do, right? So six of the ten times, Pharaoh strengthens his own heart. But there's four of, them, four of these plagues that are so bad God has to actually supernaturally strengthen his heart. Okay, why is God doing that? Why is God not hardening his heart so that it can't be pierced? Why is God strengthening his heart? To make sure that Pharaoh has a free will. He strengthens Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh can withstand and Pharaoh can do what Pharaoh wants to do. This is what Pharaoh wanted to do all along, right? Pharaoh does not want to let Israel go, right? Pharaoh does not want to listen to God. Pharaoh does not want to obey God's voice. Now think about this for just a minute. As a leader, right, whether you're the leader of a a small group of people or especially as a national leader, right, this is why so many times when we get mad at them, we, we, we get mad at leaders because they'll promise something and we believe they're absolutely genuine. But then when they get into power, there is so much force that comes on them from different directions that they bend. They're not hardened enough to, to stay straight despite that force. They bend to this will or that will. Maybe, maybe it's a great catastrophe that comes on the people and all of a sudden they're passing out checks and that's something that they would have never done and said that they wouldn't do. Or maybe there's from outside influences that, it, that, that play on their own greed or whatever you know, the case may be, their own desire for power. right? And so that's why we want in a leader, we want somebody with fortitude, strength. We want their hearts to be strengthened, hardened in the sense that it's saying here. 
what God is saying and what God is doing is God is saying just because these ten plagues is coming on your land and it's going to put an immense amount of pressure on Pharaoh. At first it's going to be annoyance, but after that people are going to start hurting and going to start crying out. And you're going to come under an intense amount. And at first, you're going to be able to resist on your own and continue to do what you want to do by your own free will. But there's going to come a point that I'm going to have to supernaturally harden your heart, strengthen your heart, so that you will be able to stand up and continue to do what you want to do. Because this is judgment coming on Pharaoh and coming on Egypt. And it's no Pharaoh made the decision. It's not just him. As you go through and you read, there's so many times when the Egyptian peoples, their hearts are strengthened or hardened also. Right? It's their will. It's what they want to happen. So God does not harden Pharaoh's heart in a sense that he can't hear the message and he can't do what he wants to do. Pharaoh strengthens Pharaoh's heart so that he'll stand up under a lot of pressure and Pharaoh still has the ability to do what he wants to do. We've understood it so often is that God takes away Pharaoh's free will, but it means just the opposite of that. God is giving Pharaoh his free will and he is making sure Nothing happens to take that away. Even under immense pressure, he can still do, still exercise his own free will. So here is, here's what I set out. Here's the message I've been wanting to bring to you since last week. Who is the Lord? Man, we got to know. Who is the Lord? Well, can I tell you who the Lord is? I want to tell you this morning. Who is the Lord? What I think that we need to know, first and foremost, not the only thing, but what we need to know. I'll keep it simple. Let's make it three. First of all, the Lord, the Lord is the creator of all men. He's the creator of everything, heavens and the earth. There's nothing that wasn't created by him and for him. But I want you to understand what's important is He is our maker. He is our creator. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. I heard a joke one time, and it's, it's a silly, corny, stupid joke. But it illustrates the a point that I want to make. A little girl, been, she, you know, she's been hearing different things, different people and at school and stuff like that. So she asked her mom, where did people come from? Right? What is the origin of the human race? Where did people come from? There's a beginning somewhere. What is that? Where did it come from? Well, the mother answered. Give the answer that I would hope any good mother would give her children. God made Adam and Eve, right? And then Adam and Eve, they started having children, and their children had children, and so all of mankind come about. Now, two days goes by, and the little girl does what children do. She has a chance with Dad alone, and I guess she's testing Mom and Dad, and are they going to give the same answer? So she asked Dad, and dad says, 
Well, many, many years ago, there was apes from which the human race evolved, right? We started out as monkeys, and we eventually turned into humans, evolved. Just confused, the little girl. She's very confused. So she went back to her mom, and she said, Mom, how is it possible that you told me that the human race was created by God, and Dad said they evolved from apes? Mom she was quick. She had her answer, and she said, listen, dear, it's very simple. I told you about my side of the family, and your father told you about his side of the family. <laughs> Look, listen to me. You might, be, you might be a monkey or come from a monkey, but I am not. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God. I was created in the image of God. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, evolution is nothing but man's way of trying to dismiss all accountability to God. Right? The bottom end of it, the root of it is, is man is God. It's what he's wanted since he was in the time that he was in the Garden of Eden. Right? That was the great temptation for Eve is when the serpent comes and said, you'll be, if you eat of the forbidden fruit, you'll be like gods, right? Was the desire to become gods, right? We still see that in mankind today. We see it from evolution till we see it through this whole climate change thing, right? It's God is the only one that has control over the weather. So if man can control the weather, right, then man puts himself in the place of God. And listen... Understand, evolution is nothing more. There is not one ounce of physical, scientific evidence that proves it. Not one. It is nothing but a theory, and the only way to believe in the theory is by faith. And by faith alone, because there's no physical evidence for it. I don't have any problem when believing in something by faith, right? That's my faith in the Word of God, and God is the Creator, and Jesus is the Son and the Savior of the mankind, right? It's by faith that I do this, but let's just be honest about it. Evolution is nothing but a religion. It's absolutely a state-sanctioned and taught, but it's religion. That's it. That's what it is. It's man's attempt. To remove God, to do exactly what Satan wanted to do, right? When Satan, right, when he was the most beautiful of the angels, right, but his pride, right, becoming, he wanted to take God's place, right? He wanted to rise above God, right? It's nothing but man's attempt to do the same thing and take the place of God, making themselves God, seating themselves in the throne of the Most Highest. Evolution is man's attempt, man's effort. To try to, uh, try to erase God from creation. Because what it actually says is man made man. Man created man. Here's something. Here's the second thing that you need to know. I might run a couple minutes late, but I got good news for you. Dinner's here on the ground. So you don't have to race to the restaurant. It's going to be here waiting on you. Second thing is, is the Lord is the Savior of all men. 
The Lord is the creator of all men. Pharaoh is saying, who is the Lord? Our society today is saying, who is the Lord? I'll tell you who he is. Not only is he our maker and our creator, he is our savior. 1 Timothy 4.10 says, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of those that believe. What is so amazing about God is his passion for sinful human beings. While we were sinning against him, right? We were at enmity, as the Bible says, against him. We were at war against him. We were rebelling against God. But yet God still loved us even during that time, right? He still loved us so much that not only did he create us, he created a way for us to get to him through his son, Jesus Christ, right? God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. The God of heaven made it possible for his creation to live with him forever. The Lord, the God of heaven became man so that he could bridge the gap between God and man, so that we could be reconciled, so he could reconcile us to himself. I love what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 says, He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He is the Savior. But there's one more thing that you've got to understand. And this goes back to the scriptures that Dorna, right? If you notice and what Wendell read this, uh, yeah, Wendell read this morning was that question about who is the Lord. I think it was Dorna last week or whoever read last week. I can't remember now, but it was, uh, it was from Revelation about judgment. You see, the Lord is the judge. It wasn't Dorna, whoever it was. I'm sorry, whoever it was that read last week. I forgot you, but you're not forgettable. I'll remember here in a little bit. It was who? Patsy, that's right. You've done a good job last week, Patsy. The Lord is the judge of all men. He is the judge. You will have to stand before him and answer one day. Not just you, all of creation will. That's why Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed unto men wants to die, but after this, the judgment. You better be ready for that, right? Because he made you, because God made you, and he made a way for you to be reconciled to him, he made a way for you to come to him, to come to heaven, to live with him in heaven forever. That therefore gives him the right to judge you, to judge you and me, based on what you did do and on what you didn't do. He is, he, is the believe, he is the judge of the believer and the unbeliever alike. He's the judge of the believer. It says so in Romans chapter 14, verse. I think it starts in verse 10. It says, For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us, should give an account of himself to God. That's all of us. And there ain't no exceptions in that. 
Right? The parallel verse is 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in this body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And then he is most definitely the judge of the unbelieving also. That's the part of the verses that Patsy read last week. Revelation chapter 20, right? It, uh, she read a bigger section of this, but just starting in verse 11, it says, And I saw a great white throne, right? This is John, right? John, when he's in his vision on the Lord's day, right? And he's been caught up, right? Uh, there from the Isle of Patmos. He says, And I saw, he, he's transported to the end times. He sees this great judgment. And he says, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before. God and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works and none of them only the ones who's written in the book of life make it none of those and in this group the believers have already been judged it's all the unbelievers there's not a single one in this line right that has their name written in the book of life so they're all judged according to their works and none make it none are righteous right no one our righteousness is filthy rags the only way you're going to make it to heaven is not by your good works not by your righteousness not by my good works not by my righteousness but by the but by what Jesus did, his works, his righteousness. So here's my question to you this morning. Do you know who the Lord is? Now, I don't mean just, oh, yeah, I know the Lord, he's God, he's, you know, it's Jesus. No, do you know him? Do you know, not, not do you know about him, not have you ever heard of him, I'm asking, do you have a relationship with him? Do you know him on a personal level? Do you know who the Lord is? Right? Do you know, do you know that? Is he your savior? Are you ready for that day of judgment? Are you doing everything you can to warn? As, right? So you could be sitting there saying, yeah, I know who he is. Yeah, I know. I've got a relationship with him. Then if you know who he is and you understand who he is, you know that he's a righteous God. You know that he doesn't lie, that what he says is the truth because he said it. That's what makes it the truth. And that he is coming back and he's coming back this time in judgment. So are you doing everything that you can? To warn as many people as possible of the impending judgment. Are you going to great lengths to make sure that everyone, everyone who will listen to you is ready for that day of reckoning? Are you telling your children and your grandchildren? Are you telling your nieces and nephews, your neighbors, your friends, whoever that God opens the door for and gives you the opportunity, right? Everyone who will listen to you, you might not think that they are heeding your advice. That's all right. God doesn't say twist their arm and make them happen. As a matter of fact, he went out of his way to make sure Pharaoh had a free will so Pharaoh could choose his own destruction, so Pharaoh could choose his own end. God has went out of his way to give each one of us a free will and the, and the ability to choose whether we're going to follow him or not, whether we're going to accept him or reject him. 
Listen to me. God is the judge. He will judge them. There's no doubt about it. But he's going to judge you too. And he's going to judge me. So my question is, are you ready for that day? Are you ready? Will you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar and I want to give you an opportunity to come this morning. Spirit of God dealing with you, would you come this morning? You got a need, you got a burden, would you come this morning? Whatever it is, don't miss this opportunity. Maybe you realize this morning you're not where you ought to be. Maybe you knew that when you come in, I don't know. Maybe God began to deal with you uh, while you were here. If the Spirit of God is dealing with you, if He's urging you, would you come this morning? Maybe there's somebody on your heart, somebody you need to be praying for. Maybe you're doing good, but God's beginning to flood your mind with others who aren't doing so good, who aren't doing like they ought to do, right? Would you come and pray for them this morning? Uh, Whatever the need is here, listen to me this morning. We know what it's going to take to turn things around in this society, right? It's going to take a revival, but that revival is not going to start somewhere else. It's going to start with us and our own hearts, and it's going to start with a praying people. So if you've got a need, if you've got a burden, if the Spirit of God has drawn you, don't you be ashamed. Don't you hold back. Don't you wait a moment longer. Would you come this morning? Whatever it is, would you come this morning?